Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. So I want to talk to you today. I want to, I'm still in, in the book of Galatians. And there's this wonderful phrase in the book of Galatians that I've just based this message around. And this is the idea of Christ in you. Christ in you, Christ in me. Um, Galatians chapter 1 and verse 15. Paul is, uh, you know, given his um, resume here. He's giving his testimony. And he says, But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult anyone. And I'm not going to go over this again. A few weeks ago, I was talking about what that means because they were challenging his apostolic authority. And he's just making the case here that I didn't get it from somebody else. I got this from God, okay? I'm sent by God. And here's the thing. If Christ is in you, you're sent by God too. You know, a, a good organization like our our network here will recognize who's called by God, and that's good for a, an endorsement, right? That that it's that's right and that's biblical. But before you're endorsed by a man, you should be endorsed by God. Amen. You need to have something to give, right? So uh, I think it's interesting here in verse 16. It says that God was pleased to reveal His Son to me. This is the ESV that I'm reading. If you look up another translation, like most of the other major ones, the King James, the New American Standard, the NIV, it uses the word in. It says, pleased to reveal his son in me. Think about what that might mean. He was pleased to reveal his son in me. Um, The word there in the Greek is almost always translated in. It's used like 22, 2300 times in the Bible. And almost 2,000 times it's, it's translated as in. And so here's the thing. Jesus Christ has a purpose for you. He has a purpose to reveal himself in you and through you and to you, right? I mean, put it all together. Let's not get hung up on the preposition. Let's look at what he's doing here. He's wanting to reveal himself through you, in you, to you. What does reveal mean? Just, you know, the magician. Now we will reveal the trick, right? You get a look at what's going on that you couldn't see before. It means to pull the cover back, to show, to manifest, to show what's already there. That's what reveal means. And so Jesus wanted to make himself known through Paul to the world. He called him to preach to the Gentiles, to the nations. That's what the word means. It's ethnos in Greek. It's ethnic groups. Paul was sent to all the different ethnic groups to bring this gospel. And he says, I'm going to do this because you're going to preach. I'm going to manifest myself through you, but I'm going to do that by manifesting myself in you. So you're going to embody me, and you're going to carry me to the nations. That's what he's saying, as simple as that. Isn't that powerful? So uh, Paul was, you know, he was an effective preacher. I mean, he must have been effective. He brought people to a point of decision, you know, love me or hate me. (laughs) <laughs> but you're not going to leave here unaffected, right? <laughs> so half the people tried to stone him, half the people, you know, followed him, right? Because he, he could bring you to a point of decision, a point of clarity. I mean, there's preachers who can go to a town, you know, and preach, and it's like, hmm, that's kind of interesting, right? You know, but, but Paul could bring you to that point where you had to make a decision. You had to. That's, that's I believe that's, you know, 
one of the ways that I've received from God different things is when a preacher man preaches me into a corner. <laughs> and I have nowhere to go but to admit I'm either believing this or I'm not. I'm either walking this or I'm not. I, I, I need to make a change right now. And, you know, we all need to make changes continuously. We're at different places in our life, in our walk with the Lord, right? I mean, don't think about it as high as a low. Just think about it as you go through a journey. There's the decisions you need to make as you're going through a journey. And God wants to bring us into a corner where we could say, hey, I'm either going to choose you or I'm not going to choose you, but I'm not going to be able to play on the fence anymore. I've got to get in or get out. And that's how Paul would preach. And he was effective in that because why? God was revealing himself. Well, he's preaching the gospel. God was revealing Jesus Christ in him, through him. You know, it's, it seems like uh, this is a necessary part, would you agree, of preaching the gospel is to have Jesus Christ in you, right? That's what makes it alive, right? Otherwise, you're just giving information. We don't need just more information, we need the Spirit of God, right? What's it say? It says we are ministers of the new covenant of the Spirit and not of the letter because the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So when we're speaking the words of Jesus Christ, when we're speaking the words of the gospel, the Spirit of God is inhabiting those words and going into your life and, and beginning to affect change, amen? And if you'll receive it, you get to see how far the change will take you. But we've got to be open to the things of the Spirit. We can't be indifferent. You know, Jesus was able to say, this is a profound thing. You know, Jesus came to reveal the Father perfectly, right? He was the exact uh, imprint of his character, the Bible says in Hebrews. And he was able to say, hey, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But, you know, Paul was bold enough to say in essence, and when you've seen me, you've seen Christ. Look at Galatians chapter 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live now in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He's saying, man, if you've run into me, you've run into Jesus Christ because it's not me who's living, it's Jesus Christ living in me. Can you say that? Can I say that? Good question, right? Come on, let's just go ahead get uncomfortable and let God, let these words paint us into a corner so we can choose. Am I really living that? Because I want people, when they run into me, they run into Jesus. He says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. This was the life of Christ that was in him and lived through him. I mean, Paul was just an ordinary man, right? I mean, what was special about Paul? <clears throat> Jesus. That's what was special about Paul. You know, he says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. I don't think backsliding was even in his mind at that point. You can't write something like that. I'm dead. Where do you backslide to when your old man is gone? Dead, you know? Think about that. Where do you go to? How would, how would Paul ever backslide or what we call backsliding? How would he ever, uh, when, when his very life depended, his very breath depends on God inhabiting him, where is he going to go? from that point. Do you know what I mean? Look at his mindset. Look at his attitude. You know, and you and I might, we might not always be able to proclaim the gospel. There's places that they don't want to hear it. They'll kill you, shut you down, or even if you say it, just be indifferent to you. You know, but you can always manifest Jesus Christ. You can always reveal Jesus Christ in your life, through your life. And I'm not saying that that's a substitute for the gospel, but I'm just saying no matter what, we can be people who are carrying the presence and the power of Jesus Christ and the love of Jesus Christ and the reality of Jesus Christ. 
You know, in Romans 1.20, it talks about, uh, it says that the invisible things of God are clearly seen and understood in just the natural creation. It says the, the things that, you know, are the invisible qualities, the invisible attributes of God can be known and understood by looking at just natural c- creation around us. It's enough evidence that, that God says that when, when people stand before him, having just been here in the world and seen the creation, and they stand before him uh, on that judgment day, that they will be without excuse. That's how, how much weight God puts on just the evidences in creation. But let me ask you this. What about that new creation that God has begun to work in you and in me? Come on, that new creation um, carries evidence for God working, right? Come on, you all know somebody who's got on fire for God and their life was turned around. That is evidence, isn't it? I mean, wouldn't it be awesome, you know, uh, uh, you know, somebody going and, and they're standing before God that day and God said, well, you, you should have known me. Well, like, no, I, I, you know, people make excuses. Those excuses everybody makes today, like right now, you know, well, I'm not sure. I need evidence. <laughs> when you're standing before him in judgment, you're going to have a lot of evidence, right? You know, you're not going to say that because you're looking right at him, right? Um, but, you know, you could say, oh, I didn't know. I didn't have evidence. Wouldn't it be awesome if, 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 if God would say, well, man, didn't you, you know, hang out with Rick or, or Josh or, or um, um, Sam? I mean, you should have known me just by how these men were living. That was the evidence that I'm going to hold you to account for because they were godly men, godly women who walked with me. And you should have been able to see me working in their lives. The first step to embodying the gospel is Christ in you. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There's a couple different um, translations on this one too, and I like them all. They're all good. Some translations will say, like the ESV, by faith in the Son of God. Others will say, by the faith of the Son of God. I live by the faith of the Son of God. There's one that says, um, uh, I live by the faithfulness of the Son of God. I like that, the faithfulness. And the reason that they can bring these different translations out is because faith and faithfulness are the same word. They're the same word in the Greek. There's not really, context is what tells you whether it's faith, as in belief, conviction, firm persuasion, or faithfulness. But if you think about it, what do you put faith in? Things that are faithful, right? What do you trust? Things that are trustworthy, right? Who do you trust? People who are trustworthy. People. So faith and faithfulness work together. Um, so God has called us to live this life of faith, right? And the life of faith for a Christian is a life of grace. They work together. Faith and grace work together with God. Let me show you a couple of verses. This is well known. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. By grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. So God is offering this to us by what? By grace, right? But how do we enter into it? By faith, by trust, by stepping into it, by believing and and acting on it, right? Another verse that's maybe not as well known is Romans 4.16, but I really, I really like this one. It says, that's why it depends on faith, in order that the promise might rest on grace. You see, faith and grace working together. 
so that the promise might rest on grace and be guaranteed to all of his offspring. We're talking about Abraham. The Bible prophesied, God told Abraham that you would be a father of many nations, okay? So we know that the Jewish people were descendants of Abraham, but when God was making these promises and speaking to Abraham all those years ago, yeah, he was talking about the Jewish people, but he was also looking into a time when all of the different nations, again, there's that word ethnic group, the Gentiles would come into the family of God, right? So he's looking, he, God has always had the whole world in mind, even though you read the Old Testament, you, you look at how he's dealing with Israel and all this, but he's always had the nations in mind from the very beginning. He said, I'm going to work in one nation to bring salvation to all the nations. And so in Jesus Christ, this is what has begun. That's why Jesus said, go into what? All the world, preach the gospel to all creation. And so he says, it depends on faith in order that the promise might rest on grace and be guaranteed to all of Abraham's children, not only those who are adherent to the law, that would be the Jewish nation, but also the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So what is grace? You know, grace is just a simple word for grace, favor, right? Favor. You could say unmerited favor, and that would be accurate too, but Jesus grew in grace, and if anybody deserved it, he did. So you could just say favor. If you and I get grace, it's probably unmerited, right? But but it's favor. It's favor. What's faith? Faith, I said it already. Firm persuasion is conviction. But there's a Hebrew idea. Um, in the Greek, you know, it's very clear. It's, it's conviction. It's the, it's the word for belief. But there's a Hebrew idea that, that has, it's more to do with um, uh, how I live in light of that firm persuasion. That's a good probably way to say it. Because when you go to Hebrews chapter 11, is anybody familiar with Hebrews chapter 11? We call it the hall of faith. It's a list of all these people who did things. And it says, by faith, by faith, by faith. But get this, by faith, they did something, right? They just didn't believe something. They believed something that led them to an action, right? So their life was governed by their beliefs. Their actions were in line with, with what uh, they were convinced of, right? So they were faithful, to that firm conviction. So you see how faith and faithfulness work together, right? You don't really have one without the other. And so the, the Hebrews 11 is about uh, these men of God who actually did something because of something that they believed, something that they saw, something that they were convinced of. So in other words, they lived according to the things that they believed were true. They were faithful. And that's how they expressed their faith. And so the reason it says here in Romans 4.16 that the promise of God depends on faith, I think is so interesting. It's not to limit this. What does it say? It says, why? So that the, the promise can be guaranteed to everybody, right? The reason is by grace and faith is to make it available to the most people possible. So man, you can get in on this, amen? <laughs> I can get in on this, Right? It's by grace and faith. I don't, it's by favor that I don't deserve. By what? By being convinced that God wants to give you favor that you don't deserve. That's it. You believe that, step into it, it's yours. God works in your heart by the power of the Holy Spirit, and your life will be different from here on. Hang on. <laughs> he wants to make sure the promise is available to all of us. And so Paul says, the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. This is back at the, uh, the last verse I was reading in Galatians. By faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Like I said, faith is not just, a, you know, looking at this, 
you know, these Hebrews and these different things, faith is not just a, a, a set of points to believe, you know? Are, are, are you, do you believe in, and then we go through our little checklist. Okay, yeah, I got it. Yeah, I got it. Okay, well, the question is, if I believe these things, if I believe in a crucified and risen Jesus Christ, how am I going to live in light of that? If I believe that Jesus Christ is going to judge the world, the living and the dead, how am I going to live in light of that truth? That's where I get to, to, to display my faith, right? That does not make it a works salvation. That just means if I really believe, I'm going to show it, demonstrate it in my life. And so the, the life of faith isn't a mental belief. It's, it's not a list of ideas that we just try to hold on to be true. There's actually a reality, a realness in the life of faith. You know, look at the examples of faith in the gospel accounts. I opened up talking about that man that they let through the roof, right? The Bible says Jesus saw their faith, and his body, his paralyzed body was changed, okay? The power of God can affect things physically. Do you remember the woman um, who had the... Uh, a hemorrhage of blood. She was bleeding, man, and she touched his garment and her body was healed. 12 years going to the doctors, she couldn't be healed. One touch. Jesus didn't even know she was coming up because he turned around and said, who touched me? Right? And they were like, everybody touched you. So what was the difference between everybody touching him and this woman? Faith. Right? Faith will change your world, man. Trusting in God. I mean, she would not. Here's the thing. How much faith did she need to show coming to Jesus? She just came. She just said, if I could just touch him. She even said her own terms. Think about that. If I could just touch the hem of his garment. I mean, why was she convinced of that? She believed if she could just touch him. She wasn't really allowed to be out in public at the time because of their laws of, of, of uh, um, the Jewish customs. And so she wasn't supposed to even be there. But she says, if I'm going to sneak up, I'm going to take a miracle anyway. And she says, if, I can, if I'll do that... And what happened? God met her. The power of God met her. And Jesus wasn't even, wasn't even aware of it, which just blows you away, right? Because Jesus knows everything. <laughs> but he turns around and says, who touched me? <laughs> and the disciples were like, look at everybody touching you. Look at the multitudes pressing in on you. And you can say that? And he's like, no, somebody touched me because I felt it. I felt power. So these examples, look, these, these, these are examples for us of what faith will do in the life of a believer. God has called us to a life of faith. That means these things are supposed to be following you and me everywhere we go. I'd like to read to you from the a book of Ephesians, chapter 3 and verse 14. Paul says this, uh, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. There we go. Christ in you. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Okay, who's he talking about here? He's talking about you being filled with all the fullness of God. What would, <laughs> yeah. This is God's plan. This is what Christianity looks like from God's perspective. He says, I want to fill them with me not just with a little bit. I want to fill you with all the fullness of me. 
You know, if we could ever realize the truth and power of Jesus Christ living in our hearts through faith, the world would be a different place. You know, when the church realizes that we are the tangible, living, pulsating body of Jesus Christ, right? The church is his body on the earth, you know? Uh, the very flesh and blood of Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus had flesh and blood when he walked the earth, right? He still has flesh, flesh today. He still has a body today. But when he walked the earth, God inhabited that body, right? Jesus inhabited his body, just like you inhabit your body, right? You live in a, you're a spirit, you live in a body. Jesus ha inhabited the body of Jesus Christ, right? Well, does he still have flesh and blood on the earth today? Yeah, you and me, his church. He wants to inhabit us. Jesus wants to inhabit the church the same way he inhabited his body on the earth. He wants to have that freedom of expression to go around doing good and healing all who are under the power of the devil. Why? For God was with him. That's what it says. For God was with him. Is God with you? Christ is in you. He wants to do the same things through me and you. Amen? So Jesus Christ, he wants to operate through you, but get this, he doesn't operate through you um, independent of you. Okay? Right? He wants to, I mean, there's a real conscious connection between you and God. Okay? Uh, his purpose is not to not make a puppet. When I was a, uh, a kid, um, my dad uh, had a church, and we would have an evangelist come every year who had a ventriloquist, okay? His name was Jim Carmen, and his, his uh, puppet was named J.C. And, I mean, I'm telling you what, he can make that thing look alive, man, you know? A good ventriloquist, I mean, they, they make their eyes open up and do all this. And I remember one time uh, he was actually staying with us, and we're like, oh, we want to see your puppet, I mean, so he takes that little thing out of, the, out of the case in our living room, and he just goes around the room and insults all of us. Just, why? Because he can. Because, you know, he's making it look like, it's the puppet, not me. You know, it's like, you know, now JC, that's not nice. And he's just, cut, you know, cutting us up. But what, that's not how God wants to work through us. Not a puppet where, where, where uh, you know, he's moving our lips and putting that in our mouth. What he, wants, he, what he wants to do is bring out all the qualities that Jesus has already planted in your heart. And he wants, to, when you received him, he put that in there, Christ in you, right? And he's not looking to drown out your own individuality or destroy your individuality, but he's looking to change you and enlarge you and energize you and to live through you so that your, your individuality, your person will be tuned to the very nature of God. That's why he wants to save your life, right? So, you know, it's very common, I think, in our culture to believe that uh, uh, you know, Jesus comes into my heart because a lot of people preach the gospel that way. Would you like to receive Jesus into your heart? You know, we've, I've heard a lot of children's ministry. That's the verses that we use um, to lead people to Jesus Christ. And that's good because that's what happens. Jesus comes into your heart. Um, but, you know, he wants to do more than just inhabit your spirit. Think about this f with me for a minute. He wants to not just live in your heart. He wants to fill your mind. Yes. Right? Have this mind in you, Philippians says, that is also in Christ Jesus, right? That's called renewing your mind. That's plugging your mind into his mind, right? So he wants to not just inhabit your heart, he wants to inhabit your mind. He also wants to inhabit your physical body. Think, think about it. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20 makes this so clear. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Your what? Your body? Not your spirit, your body. Your physical body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. 
You're not your own. You're bought with the price. What did he buy? He bought you, your body and everything, right? So glorify God in your body, in your flesh. Your flesh is holy because it's the dwelling place for Jesus Christ in you, amen? Jesus in you. You know, there's a, in, a, in theology, there's this thing called the hypostatic union. Anybody know the terminology? Come on, Jay. The hypostatic union. What's that mean? It means that when you go through the scriptures and you study everything it says about Jesus Christ, you learn that Jesus Christ was 100% God, amen, and 100% man. How can he be 100% God and 100% man at the same time? Oh, easy. This little device called the hypostatic union, <laughs> which is just a name we give it to explain, you know, uh, what we're trying to talk about when we say Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. The idea, though, that, that a human can be joined to God is amazing, isn't it? But here Jesus comes, and he's 100% God and 100% man at the same time. And Jesus was filled with all the fullness of God. And he wants to inhabit his body, the church, with all the fullness of God. The Bible says about Jesus that in him, was all, all the fullness of God dwells bodily. Bodily. You get that? All the fullness of God dwells bodily. Sometimes I think we minimize the importance of having a body, but if you don't have a body, you're not here. Think about it. <laughs> so it's important. He needs a body to express himself on the earth, and he is the head of the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. And so... He wants to inhabit the church the same way he inhabited Jesus so that when people bump into you, they bump into Jesus. Think about that woman, you know. There's so much power just in, in residing in Jesus Christ. She touches his clothes, man. She gets healed. Doesn't God want to do the same thing for the world? I mean, think. forget about yourself. Forget about you. Forget about me. Think about the woman. Think about God's heart of compassion for people out there who need a touch from God who need Jesus in their life. Don't you think, forget about me, whether I'm good enough, holy enough, earned it or whatever. No, it's favor, it's grace. I didn't earn it. But God loves that person so much that he'll use you and me to, to, to manifest himself too. That's good, isn't it? Think about this. Jesus in your spirit is what makes you born again, right? You die, you go to heaven. Your spirit's one with him. Jesus moved in, he's in your spirit, you get to go to heaven, you get to be with him. But that doesn't do much if he just stays in your spirit, right? We need Jesus to be in our mind. So Jesus in our mind, in our soul, renews our mind. We start thinking like Jesus, we see things the way Jesus sees things. But what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Let me ask you this, is Jesus in your flesh, right? And I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, that's how they were explaining what was happening in Pentecost, Acts 2.17. So Jesus wants to inhabit you, spirit, soul, and body. So let's not imprison Christ in us, amen? Let's, live, let's give him expression. Let's give him a vent. I mean, he wants to change your circumstances. He wants to change bodies. He wants to change lives. He wants to do what Jesus, the, everything you see in the Bible that Jesus did, he wants to do today. Let's give him expression, amen? Let's give him vent, if you will. Let's not imprison Christ in us. Let's let him move in our life. Let's let him live through our spirit, soul, and body, right? 
For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the rich of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Okay, this means something here. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, look at that word there, love, right? Love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. It's talking about knowing something that can't be known. So how do you know something that can't be known? You experience it. So he's talking about, I want you to experience the love of God, he is saying. Why? And there's a reason for it. So that you can be filled with all the fullness of God. You know, there was a day when the church could club people into obedience by preaching about hellfire and all that, you know, just... <laughs> You want to go to hell and list the sins and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, people have reacted to that, and they've, a lot of them have walked away and called that an antiquated religion of guilt. I've heard that phrase, antiquated religion of guilt. Okay, hell is real. I don't want to ever underplay it. I don't want to ever tone down the warning. Hell is real. Okay, there's, there's, when, when you die, you give account to God, and, and those who are his gets to be with him for forever. And there, those who don't, they get to be with the enemy of God. Hell was not prepared for people. Hell was prepared for the devil and his messengers. It was never prepared for people. But when we fall under Satan, who would make him our Lord instead of Jesus, that's where we go. But here's the thing. Jesus didn't come with a club. He didn't come to club people. He came with compassion. He came with a heart of compassion. John three seventeen. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. My, that's what he came to do. He came to save. He came with a heart of compassion. He came to show the Father's love. He came to seek and save that which was lost. That's what, did anybody know the verse that comes right before John three seventeen? John three sixteen. right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. See, so many times we, I've heard, we've heard that uh, proclaimed and it comes across like, for God so hated the world that he murdered his son on the cross in his anger. Well, I mean, there's all kinds of different theological expressions to describe what, what happened on the cross. But in the end of the day, you need to understand Jesus on the cross was an expression of God's love. Jesus went willingly to the cross to take your sin, my sin, the evil that's in the world. He absorbed it in his person and did away with it. When he died, it died with him. You know, imagine somebody has cancer in their body. Think about it. And they carry that thing and they die. When they die, that cancer dies. Think about it. It's done. So Jesus carried all of this evil in his body. He took it in himself. He made him who knew no sin to be sin. That's a, you know, for all you theologians in here, be, that's an ontological idea. That's the, the study of being. He became sin. Though he knew no sin, never sinned himself, he became sin. And he carried it on the cross and it died with him. And he buried it. And when he came back from the dead, he left it. And he did that for me and you. That is his rescue plan. So you see the cross of Jesus Christ not as an expression of God's anger. See that as an expression of God's love for you. Because Jesus did not go to the cross for himself. <laughs> He went to the cross for me. 
He went to the cross for you. All he had to do was nothing. We would still be lost, but he would be fine. The devil wasn't bothering him in heaven. He came to earth for that confrontation with sin, for that confrontation with the devil, and he did it for me and you. And it's to be received, what? By grace, through faith. I believe. So what, what the world needs, more than anything, is for people to know and to experience God's love. You know, we can boast and talk about our, our great developments, how we're growing in God, or we can speak about all our spiritual experiences. We can make rules and ordinances and have church traditions and all these things, but all of those things, they would just fade into the background when you get it right next to God's love, man, and the tangibility, the reality of God loving you. And sometimes, man, we just need to get still. We just need to get still before God and let him move. Let the grace of God that's already in you flow and flow through your life. Let it, let it get out. Let it change your circumstances. Let it change your body. Let it change your, you know, whatever, just whatever, whatever. Like I said, I don't, I don't have a specific word here on this one. I'm just saying God wants to do things in your life, right? He wants to do things. And if you don't have any need, praise God, you know somebody who does. Right? I mean, it's very rare to meet somebody who doesn't have a need, <laughs> something they're praying about, something that they're believing God for. But even if you don't have a need, man, you know somebody who does. You probably know a hundred people who do, right? And God wants to meet them through the Christ that lives in you. Amen? You know, the secret to a good church service um, is that it helps people to open their hearts to God. You know? You know, why do we worship? Why do we come here and have a band and stuff like that? Do you, need a, do you need music to contact God? No. No, you don't. Christ in you. You're already contacted God if you have Christ dwelling in you, right? But sometimes, man, we, we get so distracted man, in life, you know? We get so much going on. We just need to steal ourselves before him. And so, you know, the secret to a, a good church service is, you know, just come to, to come to a place where we're actually receptive to God. You know, and we open our hearts just to crack and we get just a, just a taste of his love and a taste of his presence. And we go home, and we say, man, that was a good church service. That was a good meeting today. You know, we just get that glimpse of it. But man, that's what he wants to do all the time on a consistent basis through you and through me. He's right there for us. You know, what, look, what are we looking for when we're seeking after God? What's our heart really looking for? You know, it might not be just a mountain of sin that's separating you and God. I mean, don't get me wrong. Sin separates you from God. The Bible says that. But it might not be, you know, for many of us, man, we're, we're not walking where we should. It's, it's probably not a mountain of sin that, that's coming. It could just be we're not responding to him in the way that he would have us respond to him to have him working in our lives, right? You know why? Because we're living in this world and, and you know, your attitude, your heart becomes calloused, man. You know, you see things, you go up against them and, and, and life's experiences can make us jaded and indifferent sometimes. You know, unfulfilled expectations can, can leave you kind of hardened, calloused. But God would just have us to open our hearts and let him out. Sometimes what we need to do is just to forget where we've been before. Amen? Just forget the past. Forget the, come on, in Jesus Christ, what? Letting go of those things that are behind and pressing forward. Amen? You know, just make this today your, your brand new day. Make it today your brand new day. Forget about every time you've tried and failed. Forget about whatever and just receive what God has from you fresh today. Amen?
You know, the invitation um, is not, my child, give me your head. Think about it. It's my child, give me what? Your heart. Give me your heart. Proverbs 3, 5 says to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. He wants your heart, right? And lean not on your own understanding. You know, we read that, but, but we actually say, hey, don't trust your heart. Trust your head. <laughs> Come on, you heard it, right? Don't trust your heart, man. Your heart's evil, man. No, not if Jesus is in there, right? He wants you to surrender your heart to him so he can inhabit it and your heart can be pure and holy. And that's where you meet with God. And now something more real than what you can figure out with your head happens in your life. Amen? So trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Your heart's where you connect with God. But here's the thing, the attitudes of your heart can sometimes hinder God from having full expression in your life. Tom, do you mind coming up and this, the team? Just play, play something for a minute. And I want to read you one more verse. And I just, what I want to do is, uh, I just want to take a moment. Doesn't have to be long necessarily, but we'll make sure we get done what we need to get done today. But I just want to take a moment. And I just want to give God the opportunity here to fill our minds and our bodies, man. You know, that was the power of Pentecost, right? The Spirit of God on people's bodies. Pour out my spirit on all flesh. In Galatians chapter 4, Paul is writing this. He says, My little children, for whom I again in the anguish of childbirth, there's been a lot of childbirth in this church lately. Seems like it. Yeah. And I don't know, in case some of y'all missed the text message, Rinkin's sister had her, her baby um, Thursday. Friday? I don't know. Y'all know, y'all know better than I do. Friday? Thank you for telling me. Um, yeah, all I know is we're going there next week to see her. So, um, but yeah, a lot of childbirth. That's good. But he's he's in anguish of childbirth. Now you can decide if Paul knows what he's talking about when he says he's in anguish of childbirth. I'll leave that up to you, women. But listen, I'm in in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. He's laboring to bring something about. He wants Christ to be manifested. He wants Christ to be indwelling the people there. He says, I wish I could be present with you and change my tone. I'm perplexed. He's concerned because he's hearing reports about them, and it doesn't sound like they're living with the reality that Jesus Christ is in them. So what's he doing? He's praying. He's laboring. I mean, you get the idea, man, okay, I've been, I've been in the delivery room. You, you go in there, and you don't get out till it's done. You know what I'm trying to say? And here is Paul. He's going to prayer for these people, and he is not coming out until this is accomplished. He's laboring until Christ is formed in them. As we sing this song, just take a moment. Just let Jesus out, man. Let him flood your life. Let him flood your mind. And just let him do what he wants to do today. Amen. And if anybody needs prayer, I just want to invite you just to come up to the front here. Rinkum and I would be happy to pray with you. Any need that you have, if you want a fresh start with God, come to the front. We'll pray with you. If you have a need in your body, if you want us to stand in agreement with somebody you know, we'd be glad to pray with you. Amen.